Can we now return to that chapter we read earlier, Matthew chapter 4, and the text that I wish to highlight is verse 19, chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel, and verse 19, which reads, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And in, in the light of this being the fifth Wednesday of the month, when we would have our missionary prayer meeting, I would like to focus on these words with you this evening and seeking the Lord's blessing, we hope it shall be profitable for us. And we have the words of the Lord Jesus Christ issuing a call here to Peter and Andrew. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The calling of the disciples was in stages. If we correctly read the life of the Lord Jesus Christ chronologically, we are inclined to believe that they were called in stages. John's Gospel would really be the beginning of their calling. In John chapter 1, from verses 35 to 51, we have some of the disciples were called for the first time. We have Andrew who was called, and he went and then got his brother Peter. But there was another disciple with Andrew that's not named in the text, but it is believed it was John. And it's also believed that John also then went and called and brought his brother uh, James to come and acknowledge uh, Christ as Lord, or Christ as the Messiah. And then we find also in that same chapter, we have Philip, who then called upon Nathaniel, and Nathaniel was the one who came also. So we do believe that six of Christ's disciples were called, therefore, in an early part of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And basically, that was a call to discipleship. That was a call to recognize that Christ was the Messiah, that he was the one that was promised in the scriptures. The call that we're looking at here in Matthew chapter 4, according to the commentator Hendrickson, is probably about a year after that first call in John's Gospel. And this call is also recorded for us in the beginning of Mark's uh, Gospel also, where it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Very similar to what we have here. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, at this point, we are told, and straightway left their nets and followed him. But there is another call that the disciples received, and that's found in Luke chapter 5, verse 10. And we're inclined to believe that it was after this call here that we're looking at. It is similar, yet it is different. 
For instance, in Luke chapter 5, we have uh, Jesus having a conversation with Peter after he had been fishing all night and he had caught nothing. And the Lord asked him to throw his net out again and reluctantly to some point Peter did it in obedience to the Lord and as a result he got a great catch of fish that required his partners to come and help him to take it all on board. And it was then that Peter said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus then uttered these words to Peter. Jesus said unto Simon, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And then we're distinctly told in the, in the text that the disciples, because there were other disciples with Peter at that time, but we are told is that they left all and followed Jesus. That was the point when they became full-time followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might say, well, it's, it's happened here, surely, verse 20, for what do we read? And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Well, the likelihood is that they simply left their nets for maybe a day or two and followed Jesus. But then they drifted back into their occupation. They didn't leave everything at this point that we're looking at, but they did when they came to that incident that's recorded for us only in Luke chapter 5. And therefore, that was their final, complete, last call to attend full-time on the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, he was going to teach them. This is what it's all about. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we know that this stayed close to the Lord Jesus. They were with him almost night and day. They spent a great deal of time with him, listening to his, his teaching and to his preaching, to his medical working, and above all, to his lifestyle. And all of this ultimately rubbed off on them in order that when he would undertake Golgotha and uh, offered up himself, that once for all perfect sacrifice, and uh, then be raised from the dead and enter back into heaven. And he would leave them, therefore, to carry on the work of preaching the gospel and evangelizing from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But before they could do this, they had to follow him. They had to be intimate with him. They had to emulate him. They had to learn from him. They were not at this time particularly suitable for the great task that lay before them. They were far from humble. We know on occasions they were disputing who was the greatest among them. 
They didn't have a very forgiving spirit. They were people who did not engage in persevering prayer. They didn't have great spiritual penetration. They didn't understand the things that Jesus Christ was telling them. And there were many deficiencies and faults in them. Yet Jesus chose them. And Jesus chose them in order that they might follow him. And ultimately, they would then be able to go forth and to undertake the task, that difficult task that was theirs, in order that they might be engaged in full-time evangelistic work. Now, this, friends, because we know of the success that they had, we know from history and from the teachings of the church, we know that the early disciples literally turned the world upside down. They were mighty in power and word and in deed, and they knew great and glorious success. Now here is something that we need to bear in mind. It's a, a wonderful encouragement for us and for the church because it's a great argument for the authenticity of Christianity. Who were these men? They were unlearned or unlettered as, as we would say. They had no power. They had no influence. They had no clout. They came from Galilee, which was a place that nothing great about it. Galilee was, was, was a district, and Jesus had set up his home in, in part of Galilee in Capernaum. And these people were, they were not high and mighty. They were not educated. It would be common for people from Galilee to be maybe soldiers, but not academics, not speakers, not teachers, not preachers. They were not capable for that in of themselves, and they wouldn't be recognized. But friends, the Lord chose them, and he transformed them, and he made them a mighty force. This surely does encourage us, and it would remind us that Christianity is from God. There's no other way that we can possibly look upon what happened and otherwise come to the conclusion that this has the stamp and this has the approval of Almighty God. Now the, they were chosen by the Lord and they would have been able, they would have been able to take with them some of their experiences and some of their skills and strengths into the gospel ministry that they were going to embark on eventually. They were fishermen here, James, John, Peter, Andrew. They were fishermen. Now, to be a fisherman, what's required? Hard work. Obviously, this is something that they experienced, that they knew, that was nothing new to them. And when they would go into the gospel ministry, they would have to know what it is to work hard. The work may be different, but nevertheless, it would be hard work. They would have to be patient. Fishermen have to be patient. They would have gone out like that incident that I uh, retold to you from Luke's gospel, chapter 5. When they went out, 
and fished all night and they got nothing. They would have had many nights like that, but nevertheless they would still go out the next day or when there was more, uh, another opportunity. They wouldn't stop. They wouldn't be despondent. They would be patient. They would recognize, well, we didn't get some, some fish last time, but we'll get some this time. And that would have to be the way for them in the gospel, in the proclamation of the gospel. And there had to be a certain amount of determination. It would not be easy to be a fisherman. The weather might not be very suitable. Oh, we'll not bother to go out. No, they will go out, come what may. Unless, of course, the weather was extremely stormy, they wouldn't set out. But if it was raining or whatever, it might be very cold, but whatever, they would still go out. Well, that kind of mentality they would have to take with them into their new callings as ones who would proclaim something of the glory and wonder of Christ. They had to work as a team. James and John worked as a team with Zebedee the father. No point in falling out. Here they were in the boat with others, not just them, but they would have been servants and they would all have to get on together. They would all have to work in unison. And this is something they would have to learn also and take with them in their endeavors as they sought to bring the word of God. The work could be physically dangerous. As we said, they would not necessarily go out to fish if it was blowing a gale, but they may well leave the shore and go out to fish and the weather would be perfectly suitable at that time. But in Galilee, in the Lake of Galilee, the weather could change very, very quickly as it, ha as it did in incidents that have been recorded for us in the scriptures. And therefore, although it looked calm and fair and pleasant as they embarked, when they actually engaged in it and got out, out away from the shore, things change very quickly. Well, that's the same for the gospel ministry. Sometimes it can be dangerous. As you will know, as we look at the life of the apostles in the Acts of the Apostles, it can be a dangerous thing to stand uh, preaching, whatever, when uh, people don't receive the word of God gladly. Well, all of these qualities and perhaps many others they would have to take with them into their new vocation. And they would find these things useful. Peter, what was he? Well, he was quite impetuous, but he was actually going to be the leader. Andrew, his brother, as one commentator said, seemed to be one who always seemed to be bringing people to Jesus, even before he was set apart. You will know that incident when Jesus fed the 5,000 and Jesus used the food of the small boy. Well, it was Peter, or it was Andrew that introduced the, or knew about the small boy. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Here was Andrew, even before this point, 
taking people to Jesus. If we go further on, in John's Gospel, in John chapter 12, when the Greeks came, Sirs, we want to see Jesus. Andrew also was involved in that. In verse 21 of chapter 12, the same came before, therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, sir, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Here is Andrew again, instrumental in bringing people to the attention of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, what was he? He was the first of the twelve to be a martyr. And John, he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. So these were the, the early disciples. And here we have them being called, or the beginning of their final call, to fully follow the Lord full time in order that they might be prepared for their great task as being the original missionaries of the Christian gospel. Now this time here that we're looking at, John the Baptist was cast into prison. This left, if you like, the scene clear now for Jesus. It would not be suitable if John was proclaiming the gospel or if John was preparing the way for the Messiah and the Messiah was also now preaching. John had to be sidelined and therefore under the sovereignty of God he was cast into prison in order that having successfully introduced and prepared the way for the Messiah, the way was now clear for the Messiah to go around and to begin his work. After he had been baptized and after he had been tempted by the devil. And this point here may well be regarded as the beginning of his Galilean ministry. And for most of his time upon the earth. He spent most of his time in Galilee. He did have some ministry earlier on in John's Gospel, but here he is now really taking the center stage. And this surely is to be regarded as the main part of his, the beginning of his Galilean ministry. Well, there are three things that I wish to briefly highlight with you concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, because what does he say to them? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What then were they going to learn from the Lord Jesus? What then were they going to learn from Christ? Well, I put it to you from this section here, they were going to learn at least three things. The first thing, surely, they were going to learn was his mission. His mission. What does verse 17 say? From that time, Jesus began 
to preach. And surely one of the first things that they were to learn from the Lord Jesus Christ, the importance of preaching. The importance of preaching. We know ultimately that Jesus Christ came to die. We know that was the, his ultimate aim. And indeed, if he did not die, everything else he did would have no value. But here, he wasn't going to die at this time. He knew when that was going to happen and needed to happen after this. And before that, he was going to devote himself to preaching. He would see the importance of it, and they must recognize the importance of it. And so today, we as a church and as a professing Christian church, we must be continually reminded about the importance of preaching. Because many people don't accept this. Many congregations and denominations don't accept this. But we must, and we must maintain it and retain it. The pulpit is always to be central in our acts of worship, where, the, where God's word is read and where it is proclaimed. What do we find in the Gospels? What did we find in the Epistles? I should say we have Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 10, speaking about the Gospel preacher. And he tells there, writes there, how whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he goes on to say words to this effect. Why will they call upon the Lord? Why should they, should they call upon someone they don't know? Why? And who's going to tell them about this person? It must be a preacher. That's the great office of the preacher. He's to go out and he's to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ and why they must call upon him. This is to be the great work of the gospel minister. And this is to be the great work of any kind of missionary enterprise. It is first and foremost to go forth and to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are to continue with this as Jesus did. He did not flinch wherever he went, always teaching and preaching. So then, as Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 10, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's why friends we want people to come to the house of God in order that they might hear. Faith cometh by hearing. And if people don't hear, ordinarily, they will not come to faith. We know that God can do as he pleases. God can use means. God can work against means. We know that. But ordinarily, this is the way that he has ordained. And that's why we seek to bring people under the sound of sound gospel preaching. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Because as Paul goes on to say to Timothy, as he was ministering in Ephesus, he says to 
Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Paul's reminding Timothy that he has a duty. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Did we not say that the fishermen had to fish? Come what may, the weather might not be great, but nevertheless they have to go out. They had to earn their living. And if they didn't, well, they would get no social security. There'd be no payments from any central funds for them. They had to go out. Well, that's the way with Timothy. You must preach that word, whether it's acceptable or not, whether the world receives it or not. It doesn't matter. This is your role. This is what you have been called to. This is your duty. This is your privilege. This is a wonderful task that's laid before you, and you must continue it. And this was what Jesus Christ did. He continually preached the word, whatever he had an audience, and so must the, his followers, so must the early disciples. They must take a leaf out of his book and preach the word in season and out of season, no matter how popular it might be, they are to continue. This was his mission. But not just preaching. Verse 23 tells us, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. You know, preaching is like a herald. He's declaring something. He is bringing a message. Teaching is somewhat different. Here the teacher maybe is explaining the message. He's opening it up. He's applying it. And he's making it uh, more easily for them to understand. This is what occupied the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what they are to learn also. And the second thing, not only his mission, but his message. Verse 17 again tells us, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this is not all that Jesus preached. Far from it. But this would be an essential element, especially in his evangelistic preaching. It would be the call to repentance. And this must feature in the preaching of the minister. It must feature in the preaching undertaken by the apostles. They were to learn of him. And in their preaching, as we know, that's exactly how they began. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, when you preach repentance, it necessarily covers other subjects. In the secular world, we have basic teaching 
that is called the three R's. What are the three R's? Well, reading, writing, and arithmetic. These are the basic things that we all need. And these things are taught in our early years to read, to write, and to be able to undertake basic arithmetic. And if you have a good grounding in these things, you'll do well. Well, these are the three R's of secular education, but Christianity has three R's also. And they are vitally important. And when you would preach repentance, you would automatically include the three R's. What are the three R's of Christianity? Well, the three R's of Christianity are ruined by the fall. Righteousness by faith in Christ and regeneration by the Holy Spirit. These are the three R's that belong to basic saving Christianity. And when you would preach, preach repentance, you would obviously preach about ruin by the fall. Because when you call people to repentance, the, the very first question is, what am I to repent of? What's repentance all about? Well, it's all about turning from sin. And we're all ruined by the fall. All of us have sinned. And we can speak this message to all. It doesn't matter who they are or where they are. We can speak this message to everyone. It applies to everyone without exception. And it's all part of repentance. And when we would speak about repentance, we would tell them to turn and to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is our righteousness. The righteousness by faith in Christ Jesus the Lord. He was delivered for our offenses and raised to life for our justification. Therefore, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it would also speak about, surely, the need to have that new life that new birth to be regenerated by that sovereign, that glorious, that wonderful work by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, repentance is an essential message and part of the Christian gospel. And these men, as they would listen to the Lord Jesus, they would hear this, and this would need to feature in their own preaching when they would get the opportunity to go out and they were to emulate and follow and take on board not only his mission but his message also that of repentance thirdly and briefly i do believe they would also need to follow him in order that they might be aware of his manner Verses 23 and 24 talk about Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. Here we have his manner. 
it, he did not just preach and teach, he went about doing good. This is what the Apostle Peter says to Cornelius when he was speaking to him about the Lord Jesus, when he began to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. One of the things that he says about Jesus was he went about doing good. Well, they would have to be exactly the same. Now, these early disciples who became apostles, they did have the gift of being able to miraculously heal people, but we don't have that gift today. It's not here for us. But nevertheless, we are to adopt the manner of the Lord Jesus. We are to realize that we are to walk in his footsteps and we are to do what we can as he did one who went about doing good. And when we proclaim Christ, we are to make it abundantly clear that no physical or mental complaint was too great for him. All who came with various diseases and palsies, he healed them all. And this is telling us it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spiritual lesson. It is telling us that the chief of sinners, when they come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he is able to heal them. The most hardest heart, he is able to soften, or he's able to break. No spiritual malady or complaint is too taxing for him, because he's the one who went about doing good. Well, we, here we have his mission, his message, and manner. And we could sum it up basically in a line. They were to follow him in order that they would be like Christ. This is what was required of them. They were to follow him, yes, Look at his mission, look at his message, look at his manner, but all the time their being with Christ was going to change them so that they became more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And they would truly become fishers of men. And the more that we become like Christ, the more that we will become fishers of men. This is the lesson in our homes, in our churches, in our localities, even in our, our foreign mission setting. The more that we're like Christ, the more we will become like fishers of men, following and emulating Christ is the sure way. Maybe you're saying to yourself, well, I don't have this, this interest in evangelism or missions. It just really doesn't bother me. I'm quite happy the way I am. I believe I'm, I'm saved. I believe I'm right with God. But honestly, I can't say that I have any real concern for 
my neighbors, my friends, family, the lost out there. What are you to do? Well, surely the first thing you're to do is to ask Jesus to change you. Because these men were changed. When they followed Jesus, yes, they saw his mission, they saw his manner, they saw everything about him. All of these things worked into their lives and changed them. And if they didn't have any kind of evangelistic interest, then they certainly did later on. Was there not a time when James and John, the sons of thunder, they cried out, will we call for fire to come down from heaven and to destroy them? Did we not look at that in Luke's gospel? Was this not a cry? What did Jesus say? I have not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And what a change came over these individuals when they spent real time with Jesus. Oh, they didn't become perfect. And yes, we know on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them in wonderful power and transformed them and made them bold men for, the, for preaching the cross. But nevertheless, they were changed individuals. And they were changed because of their following and intimacy with the Lord Jesus. And if we cannot say that we are not fishers of men, and we have no real interest in the multitudes that are perishing, and maybe we need to go to him and ask him that he might truly change us to be like him, that one who, who wept over Jerusalem. That same Jerusalem that was going to crucify him, yet he wept over them. Fishers of men, amen.